My book, Hidden in Plain View, tells the story of an incredible group of survivors. The Aboriginal people of Botany Bay, Sydney Harbour, the coastal or saltwater parts of Sydney. Their parents and grandparents were in Sydney at Colonial Ground Zero in 1788. They watched as more than a thousand strangers came ashore and without sanction or permission set up their tents around Sydney Cove. Before they could work out their intentions, a catastrophic wave of death, the lethal epidemic of smallpox, radiated out from that colony and swept away many coastal people. All families lost loved ones. Some whole families probably perished. Tribal law was overrun and cultural practices were suspended. The dead were left to bury the dead, as David Collins wrote from the, the safety of the untouched epicentre. How do you pick yourself up from an experience like that, with the dark cloud of trauma and grief hanging over you? How do you try to reconstruct your society at a time when the world around you is rapidly changing and when, when any resistance to that change is met with violence? The ships keep coming. The tent town casts out runners along the ground and up rivers and new settlements are formed and teeming uh, larders of river flats and forests are destroyed as new, to make way for new animals and plants. Until recently, our history books told us that Aboriginal people simply gave up in the face of all of this, that the few survivors uh, after the first few decades were pushed out of the way and had lost their culture and connection, that they were living as beggars on the fringe of Australia's colonial cities, having adopted all of their vices and none of their virtues, doomed to fade away. It's a story that all Sydney-siders are fed in one way or another, whether we're old hands or new arrivals, because it doesn't need to be told explicitly. It's actually more effectively spread by silence. You can wander the coastal national parks of Sydney and see rock engravings, but where are the Aboriginal people who made them? You can hear acknowledgements of country. You can see signs and plaques around Sydney acknowledging Aboriginal clans. But where are those clans? That silence is being pierced now by Aboriginal people themselves, along with historians, museums and other cultural institutions. And most people now understand that Aboriginal people, of course, didn't fade away uh, and their culture hasn't disappeared. But it does remain hard for most people to understand how the Aboriginal people they see and meet today connect back to that earliest times of, of Aboriginal people meeting Europeans in 1788. And it's precisely that story of continuity and connection that I tried to tell in Hidden and Plain View. It was driven by the curiosity of a Sydney cider who had a very intre uh, strong interest in the past of other places but had never taken the time to learn the Aboriginal history of my own city. It was inspired by the generous sharing of a descendant of one of those survivors who made me aware that Aboriginal people for many generations had been asserting their continuous connection in Sydney. And not only that, that their story was to be found as crumbs spread across archives all over the place. If you cared to look, they were in plain view and just needed to be assembled. And that's what I did for around 10 years, often collaboratively working with researchers from the La Perouse Aboriginal community whose families were part of that story. Eventually, a network of places and people came into focus, and it was possible not only to reinstate them into the historical landscape of Sydney, where they were long thought to, to be absent, but also to try and explain how, they, how Aboriginal people made and kept a place for themselves in a rapidly changing colonial city. These were incredible, resilient people who tried to live as much as possible on their own terms, but they didn't survive by staying the same. 
they engaged with the colony and with its economy in often very creative ways that drew on their traditional skills and knowledge. They developed strategic land, uh, relationships with colonial figures of influence. And these things helped them to stay living around the shores of the harbour in Botany Bay for more than a century after the First Fleet arrived. Throughout the 19th century, Aboriginal people were a part of Sydney life. But by its end, most people had come to live at the Aboriginal fishing village of La Perouse on Botany Bay, as the government began to encroach increasingly on their lives. The horrors of segregation, child removal and later assimilation were just beginning. In writing this history, I realised that the biggest barrier to understanding and accepting a story like that and to breaking the silence is the widespread and continuing belief that Aboriginal people are unable to change without losing their authentic Aboriginality. We hear this view espoused by socially conservatives, of course, but it's also found among the well-meaning and sympathetic. Many are drawn to stories and experiences of surviving language and culture, the Bush Tucker tour, for example, that seem to leapfrog the past two centuries, but most are less willing to engage with the tricky and complex histories of segregation, of loss, of assimilation that sit behind them. If we're truly wishing to reconcile with our past, I think we need to dig deeper and seek to understand how knowledge like this has survived while other things have not, to understand the hows and whys and be prepared for the historical complexities that are going to challenge our often simplistic views of what Aboriginal people, Aboriginal culture and change actually is. Describing Aboriginal people as having the oldest living culture in the world doesn't mean that Aboriginal people are unable to change. The ancestors of those Europeans who met uh, of those Aboriginal people who met Europeans in Sydney in 1788 watched over many generations as rising seas at the end of the last ice age drowned the coastal plains of Sydney and filled up the deep river valley of Sydney Harbour like a gigantic bathtub forming the coastline we know today. These were people used to change. They adapted. We recognise today that Aboriginal people have intimate links to land and waters. And these links are in fact informed and created by an experience of change, a lived experience over many generations of the changing form and moods of the landscape. This book is a case for a deeper understanding of change. I think it's possible to mourn the loss of life and culture in Sydney while recognising the history of the survivors. They're both two sides of the same story. History is complex. Sydney and a, 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 the whole of Australia doesn't have a history of, of white replacing black. Aboriginal people have always been in Sydney and there is a clear and direct line between the Aboriginal people I know and work with at La Perouse and their ancestors who fished the waters of Sydney and Botany Bay for thousands of years. But it's a connection we can only truly understand by unthinking some deeply embedded cultural and colonial myths and opening our eyes to the entangled and I think more fascinating history of survival that is all around us if we care to look.